Welcome to HR from Happy Valley. We are the Tuesdays. My name is Spencer, and with me today are Morgan, Holden, and Devin. Hey, hey what's, what's up? up? How's it going? So, yes, like I said, my name is Spencer Berkowitz, a third-year student here at Happy Valley, with my eyes set on a degree in hospitality management. Uh, I'm also a big New York Giants fan. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Holden Zakarian. I'm a senior here at Penn State University studying hospitality management and Spanish. I'm from a small town about an hour north of State College. It's oh, called Danville. You can find me playing tennis, eating a churro at El Jefe Sacaria, and riding, and most likely falling on my skateboard around campus. Devin? Hi, all. My name is Devin Tafoya. I'm a fourth-year student here studying hospitality management, and I come all the way from Colorado uh, to be here at Penn State to be on the fencing team. All right, up next, Morgan. Hello, everybody. My name is Morgan Tiger. Rawr! Thank you, Devin. <laughs> I'm a third year student here studying hospitality management. I grew up in the very small town of Bradford, Pennsylvania. I am an avid fan of the Buffalo Bills. Ooh. Harsh. And a very devoted mother to my cat, Jeffrey. Meow. <laughs> uh, so today, our podcast series is going to discuss the hottest topics in the world of HR. Today we'll be covering Here's the Buzz and Hot Topics. Now let's hear the buzz from the rest of the crew to learn about some current events in the HR segment of hospitality. First up, we have Spencer with the Here's Something Innovative desk. Thank you, Morgan. Um, today at the Here's Something Innovative desk, we will be talking about the inherent bias in recruitment and how this risk can be mitigated. Oh, okay. The vice president of LinkedIn, Hari Srinivasan, discussed in a recent article the new features they have implemented into their database with hopes of reducing recruitment discrimination. One of these new elements is LinkedIn Recruiter, which reflects the gender mix of the available talent pool starting from page one of the recruiter search to ensure employers can see a diverse mix of qualified candidates. So what that all means basically is that the newly added features of LinkedIn are able to help employers avoid any kind of discrimination issue and a potential lawsuit. So through an HR lens, this is extremely beneficial to HR managers, um, mostly because as is discussed in the article, the previous products LinkedIn has created in an attempt to be more inclusive and reduce inequality and bias recruitment have uh, kind of failed. So these ones are supposed to be much more sound. So what are and, they doing to reduce the bias well, and discrimination? The article mentions how the new hide names and photos feature of LinkedIn, which does exactly what you think, uh, how that really works and how it can remove bias when recruiting and build a more diverse workforce chosen based on a list of qualifications rather than bias. Uh, that's uh, cool. Something notable about this article is that uh, Srinivasan admits that these solutions alone will not create systematic change but firmly believes his product, products create opportunity for someone who might have been overlooked due to bias or something along those lines, any situation that might arise. Uh, he's not only focused on how LinkedIn can benefit from his product, but also how his product can positively impact society through its bias prevention. Uh, he wants to be fair and inclusive, which gives the candidates a chance and helps the employer find the most qualified employees. So what are your up, thoughts on that, though? 
<laughs> Next up, we got the fierce beast that is Miss Tiger. Morgan, what do you got for us from the Here's Something to Think About deck? Thank you, Spencer. First off, I want to say um, back to your article, I think it's really great what LinkedIn is doing, how they're basically like hiding photos and names of people. All you're seeing is their qualifications and uh, experience. I think that's really great. It limits the opportunity for inherent bias. It does. You're right. So yeah, so today I'm going to be reporting from the Here's Something to Think About desk. Um, and I will be touching a, uh, a controversial issue, especially in today's climate. I'll be talking about uh, racial issues and more specifically the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so this summer, uh, Home Depot came into a lot of fire because they fired a worker who had painted the Black Lives Matter emblem on his orange apron, you know, that they wear in Home Depot. Of course. And so they fired him for doing that. And then also in their dress code, they uh, it, the dress code prohibits them from displaying causes or political messages unrelated to workplace matters. So that's kind of their argument, because obviously they had a lot of backlash for firing this employee and being accused of discrimination. Um, so their argument is that, I mean, in the dress code, it does say, like, it's unrelated to workplace matters. So that's why he was fired. Um, the Home Depot this is actually interesting. The Home Depot that this happened in was a Home Depot in Minnesota. So if anyone remembers the uh, the death of George Floyd, that, that happened in Minnesota as well. So it definitely resonated with a lot of uh, Black employees in Minnesota. A lot of, it's all Black people in general in Minnesota. Um, so, I mean, for Home Depot, I really think, I think firing that person was the wrong thing to do. I don't know what you guys think, but I do think firing him was a bad way to go about it. Um, I think uh, companies, especially HR managers and owners, uh, we should be mindful of what's going on in the world today, current events, um, just because like you never know how it's going to affect your employees. We've all come from different backgrounds. Um, and so I guess my question to you guys is, is it fair and appropriate to not allow employees to show activism in the year 2021 and beyond? Yeah, Morgan, that's a really good question. Um, I think that um, at the Home Depot, Minnesota, you got to look at the demographic of the African-American uh, community. Um, that being said, when you don't allow um, your workers to express um, how they feel on the job, um, it's really looks bad as a company because, it, you know, uh, employees feel like they can't breathe and it leads them to quit or just resent their job in general. Yeah, exactly. Saying I can't breathe just kind of brings a full circle and just the injustice and racial injustice to be particular that we've seen over the past right. century and beyond, obviously, through history of the United States is built on some pretty uh, racist ideologies. Um, but yeah, like you said, I can't breathe and that reminds me of a case in New York City with a guy selling these cigarettes and um, choking him out. So it's just, we got to be more uh, aware and 
Right. Likely, I'm sure that this Home Depot came to their senses. And yes, it could be really polarizing in Minnesota, but the First Amendment, you have the freedom of expression, of course. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm sure it all played out as we might have expected. Yeah, I hope so. All right. So, next up, we have Tony Hawk. Um, I mean, Holden, with the Here's Something That Everyone Should Care About desk. Thank you, Morgan, for giving us all something uh, to think about. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Holden. I'm reporting here um, from the Here's Something Everyone Should Care About desk. Today, I want to discuss a very important article. Um, it goes over a theory that looks at employee well-being inside and outside of the workplace. According to the article from Forbes, 68% of senior HR leaders saw that mental health and well-being as a top priority because it's not only evidently an important part of an individual's life, but it also creates and develops workplace resilience. But my question is, where are all these senior management going to start to look for answers on how to improve the employee's overall well-being? Well, a theory this article looks at is the seven pillars of holistic employee well-being. It includes physical well-being, career, financial, social, community, emotional, and purpose-driven. So by increasing the career well-being, it leads way for the enhancement of the other pillars. An example of this would be a company attempting to improve, example of this would be a company attempting to improve an employee's career well-being would be by making their work week more flexible so that's not just fitting the needs of the employer, but the employee as well as being, um, ha has some say in what the hours they work in. So would you look at the time? Um, that's all I have for you folks from Here's Something Everyone Should Care About Desk. I'm gonna send you over to Uma Thurman's cousin and Darth Vader's real son, Luke Skywalker, Devin Tafoya at Here's Something Important Desk. Thanks, Holden. <clears throat> I'll be taking it here for, from the Here's Something Important Desk. So from the start of the 2019 COVID pandemic, everyone's had to make some tough changes. I know I've had, I would assume a lot of you have as well, as well as a few of our listeners. Now, those adjustments ranged from working at home, living our social lives, and I could probably say just a little bit too much downtime. Uh, could you agree to that, Spencer? Yeah, I'd agree. A lot of downtime, a lot of idle waiting, you know, not, not ideal for the creative minds such as ours. All right. So, however... Now that we're trying to get back into a world that we could say is normal, uh, there has been an uprise related to mental health issues. Now, the pandemic didn't really help with this issue, like I said, because we were all locked up, and it has become even a bigger problem for businesses. The article of Managing Mental Health in the Workforce, a new role for HR professionals, written by Debbie Raup, published by Forbes, provides better insight into this issue and how human resources can overcome this. Right. So Route says, due to the pandemic, we have become closer to one another due to telecommunication. We're able to see each other via uh, computer, see each other through Zoom, like see each other's lifestyles. I know I got to see Morgan's Morgan Tiger's cat, Jeffrey. Yeah. A few right. times here and there. He's a lovely life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got to look, know a little bit more about Morgan, as a lot of other people have as well. Now, from these other interactions that we've had, it can be said that anxiety and certainty has been rising because of it, just because we're trying to get back into it and HR needs to make an expansion 
and try and help so us all out. So are people having anxiety due to going back into the workforce? Yes. Yeah. Do you think it's because they're rusty or are they scared of the of COVID or? I would definitely say it's it just more of just getting out of the comfort zone, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. uh, especially now that we're going further into 2021, I think it's more so about getting comfortable with things. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say it was an issue at the beginning with COVID being a major concern that yeah. we were just worried getting back to seeing one another would cause more uprises. So you're saying that people are uncomfortable doing work that they used to be comfortable doing because of the from their own the year and a half hiatus really put a dent in. Mm -hmm. Well, I, think I mean, how do you we went from having to get up and walk to class every day mm -hmm. to then not and waking up in your bed and just logging into Zoom five minutes before class starts. Then all of a sudden, having to get up and go to class again, I mean, I have to say, I kind of enjoyed not having to worry about, like, what I was wearing mm -hmm. or yeah, It was an anything. adjustment, to be, to be sure. It was an adjustment. Yeah. A necessary just, adjustment. Sorry? A necessary adjustment. Though. Yeah. We, have to get back yeah. To we do. You're right. Now, so pre-pandemic, HR professionals only provided certain resources for mental health issues, such as just giving, um, ideas of what they could do or so they could see other people, just a bunch of resources to help them with it. But they didn't have any follow-up with these individuals. Um, this is an issue since people are reporting worse mental health due to work routines, social interactions, and home life, right? Mm -hmm. So our harder work schedules, our uh, interactions with other people, and then just making sure like our home life is a little, isn't as messy as we would like to say it is. And then Moving forward, regardless of one's cause for mental health or issues, organizations need to become more transparent, organized, flexible, and resilient for the workers' need. It's not just about the organization, but it's also about their employees, right? So I would definitely say in order to do this, employees need to personally be contacted, right? They need to get their checkups, make sure that they're doing all right, just making sure that I'm going to say it was you, Morgan. I just want to be like, hey, Morgan, like, how's it going since I last talked to you? Just kind of Given yeah. that support, you know? Yeah. So communication is definitely key in this process. Now, this article definitely stresses the importance of mental health and acknowledges that it is increasing. Um, but it's definitely good to see that organizations are trying to change their practices, right? Mm -hmm. And that mental health is now moving towards a state that we can all be accepting of getting help. That's the main thing I want to stress here mm -hmm. is just everybody willing to uh, step up and be like, hey, I need some help. Is that okay? I'm glad that we're seeing that in the workplace now. I know it was definitely a stigma like 20, 30 years ago. Like, mm -hmm. No one, mental health was very private. No one wanted to talk about it. And so I guess it's, it's glad to see that we're trending in the right direction these days. I agree. Mental health is crucial. And I'm happy there's an emphasis on it in the workplace and in other aspects of our lives too. All right, to wrap this up, I think the general consensus of our discussion is how important it is to be mindful of what's going on in the world around you, whether it's uh, racial discrimination, activism, or a global pandemic, uh, to be a successful manager, not only in HR, but in any work environment. I think uh, all employees would be thankful. All right, and now we're gonna move on to our second segment, the hot topics. All right, so during this uh, hot topics part, we will be debating a specific uh, topic within the workforce. And our debaters today are going to be Holden and Morgan. 
my other facilitator here, Spencer. Happy to be here, Dev. All right, so let's just get right into it. So this is an interesting topic that I have here today. It is about marijuana in the workforce, right? So this is an interesting topic because marijuana is federally illegal, but can be legalized state by state. So this means that companies with that can use marijuana in certain states are allowed because, you know, state testing, whatever, state by state. Now, let's just do a little bit of background for you guys a little bit, all right? So in 1986, the workplace drug testing started when Ronald Reagan required testing for federal employees, all right? So due to this, the Americans Management Association started polling employees on whether they test or not. In 1987, 21% said they tested, and then we started going up from there. So in 1996, 81% said they tested. Reaching 2004, the numbers have gone down, decreasing down to 62%. And now since 2012, more and more states have become legalized, Colorado being the first state. And we can definitely probably conclude that those percentages have now gone down. Also, looking at the 2020 election, 68% of Americans said that they are in support of marijuana. With President Biden and Vice President Harris in office, they've been trying to decriminalize marijuana and expunge all marijuana convicts. Uh, with this in the works, it poses many questions such as should employers update their drug policy? Uh, what should the differences be between medical and recreational use? So with that in mind, I'm going to switch it on over to Morgan to be our lead debater. All right. Thank you, Devin. Thank you for that introduction. So today, I'm going to be arguing that companies should and continue to drug test their employees for use of marijuana at the start of the job, pre-employment, pre-hiring. So my first argument is that I think that pre-employment marijuana drug testing prevents negative work performance because of the impact that marijuana has on body and mind functions. So according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, short-term effects of marijuana include impaired body movement, difficulty with thinking and problem solving, memory problems, and an altered sense of time. So employees who are experiencing these uh, effects on the job, they, they, they'll underperform. And as a result of this, it can be incredibly costly to the organization and the overall, the employee's productivity decreases and turnover rates will rise. So the second argument that I want to make is that excuse me, pre-employment marijuana drug testing protects hospitality organizations from risk and liabilities uh, because damages incurred from use of marijuana can be detrimental to these hospitality organizations. So according to a study done by the National Institute on Drug Abuse, employees who tested positive for marijuana have had 55% more industrial accidents, 85% more injuries, and 75% greater absenteeism. Jesus. I know. So not only are accidents and injuries caused by marijuana usage and lawsuits in response to these accidents and injuries are uh, incredibly costly to an organization, but it also creates an unsafe environment for all employees to engage with these people who are under the influence of marijuana. 
at their job. Well, that that doesn't even include the customers. Yeah, exactly. Which is even a larger cost. Especially in the hospitality organization where most of the job is service oriented. Yeah. You know? You don't want to be off your game even for a second. No, you really don't. Because they will let you know on Yelp. They will call you out. They'll let you know with a poor tip as well. That's that's fair, yeah. All right. So that's what I have. Holden, are you ready to shred my argument to pieces? Morgan, I did respect a lot of the things you said, but um, today I will be debating why companies and organizations should get rid of drug testing um, for new employees. So as we know, over the past few decades, and especially in the most recent decade, marijuana usage has increased exponentially, not only for recreational use, but medically as well. Companies worldwide are changing the way people think about weed consumption. Big organizations like Amazon and even Penn State University are starting to make the switch to promoting the use, usage of medical marijuana. For example, Penn State University Hospitality Management recently just invited Jewish Sauce Boss, um, a company and a man named Will Edelstein um, to come in as an alumni in the class. And he gave out brochures on how to get certified for medical marijuana. Obviously the times are changing. Um, since today, I wanna to emphasize through statistics and logic why it's beneficial for companies to get rid of these drug tests, Morgan. Um, the first thing is uh, due to the ongoing pandemic and its damage to the labor supply, companies worldwide are getting rid of drug testing in their onboarding processes. Companies, whether they are providing a product and especially services, need employees to maintain sufficient revenue to be profitable. According to Vice, 9% of more than 40,000 um, employees worldwide were eliminating job screenings or drug tests as an incentive to attract and retain in-demand talent. That equates to some 4,000 employers in 43 countries who are willing to turn a blind eye to workers' recreational drug use if it means filling those vacant positions. Um, the next point is, so under federal law, you can be an alcoholic and get treatment from the company, but if you smoke marijuana, you can be terminated on the spot. So on average, statistics from the CDC say that annually, 90,000 people die of alcohol-related reasons. And on the other hand, there are almost zero cases and any other being special cases um, against being there, um, I mean, with there being deaths of the, due to marijuana, of the simple fact that marijuana um, doesn't kill. So in fact, according to the Washington Post, it helps patients who have some forms of epilepsy, nausea, chemotherapy, or weight loss associated with HIV and AIDS. So looking at these facts from very credible sources, it's abundantly clear alcohol is the worst of two evils by a long shot and deserves more effective research to be done so that politicians can take a look at the facts to make more important decisions. Relating and, to that, you know, it's pretty funny how the perception of alcohol is so skewed in the United States. Because a fascinating point that uh, comes from the podcast connoisseur Joe Rogan uh, is that he comments on the irony of what people think constitutes a drug. He says, how many times have you seen a person with a beer in their hand, smoking a cigarette, saying they don't do drugs? And this stuck with me because this statement pokes fun at what people consider to be harmful to their bodies, 
and shows the intrinsic bias against marijuana in the United States that has formed over the past century. That's a great point, Spencer. And you know, you go to India and on every street, there's a, a little weed plant on the side of the road. It's just normal there. It's, um, the, the US has stigmatized it to a way, uh, really. It's a huge, there's a huge negative connotation with it. And it's just so true that culturally around the world, it's vastly different than how we treat marijuana here. Right. And the last point I want to bring up is, you know, for years now, new hires have found a way of, you know, taking a true drug test because of the various types of detoxes and cleansers. So individuals can go to a Walmart or even more simply, they can order a detox off the internet after smoking all the marijuana they want. Um, to get the same results as another applicant who has never smoked a day in their life. So according to the Denver Post, um, whether it be urine, blood, hair, or saliva test, there are detox drinks, detox pills, home remedies, mouthwashes, shampoos that eliminate the chemicals from their bodies. It is very likely um, that someone who smokes marijuana is going to utilize these if they want to get the position that they want to get. Not only that, but just to chime in here once again, um, a credible YouTube channel uh, is the Seeker channel on YouTube. They have a video titled How Accurate Are Drug Tests? And they go into the reliability of some of these tests. And they were speaking to uh, like how infrequent it is that there are uh, like just anomalies within the tests. And they said that uh, it is estimated that they produce false positives in five to ten percent of cases. So that just further right. Right. drives so the like, point that there's it's like what's the point? You know? There's yeah, there's some issues overall. Not only are you going to get false positives, but you're going to get people detoxing. Right. So there's just a lot of ways that the tests are unreliable. So even like here at Penn State, like being on an athletic team, we get drug tested like randomly. And you're allowed to go into a, a room by yourself and take the test. It's like there's kind of a window of time that you could probably manipulate it. That's, that's a really common way I've seen in how people falsify their drug tests as they'll actually use like some of the urine. Yeah. So you guys both provided valid arguments and good evidence to support those arguments. And, but now it's time for me and Devin to sort of cross-examine you guys. We'll pose some questions and you guys will provide responses. We'll all get into a discussion, hopefully. So let's let's start with Devin. You got one or tell me to go? Yeah, I can I can start us off if you'd like. Yeah. Take it off. Yeah. All right. So pretty big one I have here. Would you say that pre-employment drug tests are an invasion of privacy? Morgan, would you like to start? Of course. Um, no, I, I don't think they are an invasion of privacy. And you're firm on that. I am firm on that. Because um, drugs are, marijuana is illegal in still half the country. Um, and the effects of it can uh, really impact your business. Um, uh, from from work performance to uh, turnover to even accidents and injuries, and then Lord knows the impact that it has on customers as well. And um, I just think that 
having people under the influence at the job is so much more of a liability than um, not drug testing because you are short-staffed and need employees. Um, so I no. Back to my thing, I don't think it is an invasion of privacy because you are trying to do what's best for your company. And yeah. Because basically you're signing up for it yourself, right? And you're trying to mitigate like injury. Well, if I think if the employer is very open in the hiring process that we will drug test you, it's not an invasion of privacy because the the applicant should know that they will be drug tested. Yeah, so as you know, as much as I agree with your points and you have a lot of valid um, arguments in there, um, my my question is for you, Morgan. What if someone who wants to get that job um, needs ma marijuana medically um, because they have one of the symptoms I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, and they're then put at a disadvantage because they're going to take that drug test and they're going to fail and not get the job. That, that's a good point. Um, you know, there are laws that protect people for medical reasons. So I think if it falls under that realm, there should be a clearance. Right, okay. Um, but if it's not protected legally, if it's just recreational use, right. I, I do think you need to screen for that. All right, all right. What about this? Because I'm thinking you guys are, at least Morgan is more talking about the direct impact of people partaking in marijuana consumption and then directly headed off to work for the day. What about, uh, do companies have the right to determine what people are and aren't allowed to do in their private lives with regards to marijuana? Let's start with Holden. We'll give you the uh, last licks on this argument. Holden, just kick us off. Right, you know, I just go back to my argument about you know the number of deaths. And as a company, I would think that you know, you would want to um, maybe not support, not you know, like supporting alcoholism, but, you know, if somebody were an alcoholic, you can treat that um, through your company. But if you smoke marijuana, as talked about previously, um, you're not covered. Um, so that being said, I think that, um, you know, it is a little bit unfair how marijuana is treated um, unequally um, in regards to alcoholism. And alcohol. Um, so yeah, Spencer, um, do companies have the right to determine what people are and aren't allowed to do in their private lives? Yes, I'd love to hear your rebuttal. Yes, I think they do, especially depending on what some of the job requirements are. Um, as I discussed in my argument, uh, People who have tested positive for marijuana use on the job have caused more accidents, more injuries. Um, and especially if you're working in a place where you're operating machinery or doing really hands-on work, especially with customers, where um, you are more prone to uh, have, have it causing an accident or uh, causing injury to yourself or others. Um, yeah, certainly companies do have the right. All right, well, good responses all around. Shall we continue? One more question, perhaps? Uh, yeah, why don't we do another one? So, thanks for giving us your advice and your debate on whether or not you like or dislike marijuana in the workplace or not. Those but, are valuable insights. Yes. Yeah. But I would like to know more about 
um, your own experiences. So have you had experiences with drug testing? Like, did you have any concerns about them? Why don't we start off with you? Right, yeah, that's a good question, Devin. So when I worked as a sales representative in California, they sent us to a lab um, a couple of days before we started and they had us uh, do a urine sample uh, in a room by ourselves. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, it was it could have been really easy for me to just you know pull out something from my pocket and then you know somebody else's urine or use it or take a detox pill um, or if it was a hair sample simply of just use a shampoo. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, I grew up here in Pennsylvania. I've only ever worked here in Pennsylvania, so I've never had the drug test just because it's still legal here in the state of Pennsylvania and it's, that's just how it is. Um, but I do actually, um, have an experience with it. So I was working at a resort and one of the servers in the restaurant, uh, was very noticeably high when he came to work to the point where guests and customers were commenting on it and um clearly he was not uh putting his best self forward and he was not making the resort as a whole look good coming to work under the influence um so i guess what um so i guess if we had been drug tested and screened prior to this would have been avoided but we weren't drug testing was never um, a requirement when I was hired nor for anybody else. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the future holds. I had a little experience with drug tests. There was, I was working in a property, it was a Boca Raton, Hilton and Beach Club. And about, it was a summer internship, it was actually during COVID. And the first like month, normal doing work whatever about a month and they're like hey we got a drug test you and I was all right whatever they give us 48 hours to go get the drug test so they really didn't give us a big window to detox or anything if that was the case if I was a, a consistent marijuana user so just to provide different perspectives different experiences some cases you're kind of back against the wall if you're a drug user and some cases are very easy to manipulate the results of the test. Well, I think we all gave some good insights. We all talked about interesting parts of the topic as a whole and came at it from a lot of different angles. I think there's a, yeah. a good discussion about the ins and outs and all the facets of pre-employment drug testing, specifically regarding marijuana use. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a pleasure. Oh, yeah. With you guys, you know, facing some tough issues with you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Spencer. I had a great time. Yeah, Devin, Spencer, Morgan, and it's always great talking with you. I had a blast, y'all. This was fun. Can't wait till next week. We should do it again sometime. I agree. Maybe next week. Yeah. It's yeah. a regular old Tuesday thing. Like yeah, it. Tuesdays on Tuesdays. That doesn't shock me at all. Like the Tuesdays <laughs> are big fans of Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys, everyone out there in the audience. Thank you for listening. Uh, we just wanted to bring you guys the hottest topics in the world of HR. 
racial movements to pre-employment marijuana drug testing. It's really always a good time with these guys and girls. And I'm just happy you guys got to hear it. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.